So I was really, really impacted Sunday morning by John Spenson's sermon. If you have not had a chance to listen to it, I highly encourage it because it was like the example of why we study the Bible. When he started to pull out the little examples, the phrases in the story of the washing of the feet that showed you the gospel, that Jesus took off his outer clothes, that he laid them aside, all of those phrases as he was going through, I was like, this is why we study the Bible. This is why we do what we do on Thursday mornings, why we make this the centerpiece of our lives. And I was so energized to keep going on prepping for teaching. And then I sat down and did some more study, and I was like, yeah, but this is just a list. There's no, there's no hidden treasures here. There's no really cute and clever thing that I can do to really make this come alive. It's a list of things that you're not supposed to do. There's, no one's going to walk out of the room in tears this morning the way I did on Sunday morning because it's not just not going to impact them that same way. So it's... You'll cry. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> but the other thing is not even just a list. It's not even the whole list, right? We're, we're only looking at the second half of the list, and they really do need to go together. I really appreciate the way Adrian set us up last week with understanding um, the way that the first half works together and the intention of it. And many, if not all, of these commandments that we studied this week are reflections and link back to the ones that we studied last week. And so as we go through them, I think you'll find that a lot of the reasons we break them, a lot of the ways that we break them, and the steps that we take to not break them are going to be similar to what we did in the first half of the Ten Commandments. Not, Not even really half. But if you weren't here last week, Adrian gave us five questions that are really helpful as you go through the commandments, and we're going to use them as our as our structure this morning. If um, you weren't able to get the questions written down last week, um, or if you weren't here, I'm going to repeat them for you. So if you have them half written down from last week, you can turn back and fill them in um, as I go through them. The, the five questions that we're going to look at are, what is meant by the commandment? How does Jesus fulfill the commandment? Why do we break the commandment? How do we break the commandment? And what steps can we take to not break the commandment? I'm going to repeat it for you one more time. What is meant by the commandment? How does Jesus fulfill the commandment? Why do we break the commandment? How do we break the commandment? And what steps can we take to not break the commandment? So we're just going to walk through these. We have six of them, and um, I... I'm probably going to spend the most time on the first one. I'm not sure why. It just kind of fell out that way, but let's just dive in. This first one is that bridge commandment, honor your mother and father. The text actually says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what is meant by this commandment? Well, respect your parents. Don't neglect their instruction. Um, This honor, though, I think we need to acknowledge is not dependent on their worthiness of that honor. Um, Many of us in this room have broken relationships with our parents. We are not then relieved of our obligation to honor our parents because of that brokenness. Um, So uh, then how does Jesus fulfill the commandment? Jesus honored his father perfectly. He respected him. He obeyed him. He carried out all that he was asked to do, even to the point of death. He honored his earthly parents, too. 
Um, we see that in the way that he treats them when we follow his story in the New Testament. Um, why do we break this commandment? Well, our sinful nature is one that's desperate for independence. We, we resist authority structure in our lives. I think that's just that natural inherent tendency of ours. That's why we rebel against God. We, we, we don't want someone telling us what we need to do. And our parents are that first authority figure that God gives us, and so we rebel against that as well. Um, we are seeking to be the authority in our own lives. We think we know better, and it doesn't matter how old we are. There's still that part that struggles against that. Just think if, you're, are a, if you are a mother, the first time your mom tried to tell you that you were doing something wrong with your baby, it just kind of irked you, right? Um, or when you were a teenager and your parents were telling you that maybe that relationship isn't the one you want to pursue, well, you don't want to have anything to do with what they're telling you. Um, but our parents, even when they're not doing their jobs well, are God's good gift to us. Um, and, and maybe that parent is not your biological parent. Maybe that parent is an authority figure, a teacher. Um, they have held that position of authority in your life, and we need to honor all of those people who are in our lives, even as adults. Um, so how do we break the commandment? We do it when we talk in any way that devalues what they've done for us, however imperfectly they've done it. When we treat them as if they're unimportant, when we get frustrated that they're insisting on doing things their own way, especially as they get older. Um, I know that even my grandparents, as they got older, they became very insistent that it needed to be done their way and nobody else's way. And my mom would get really frustrated with her mother for that. And um, there needs to be room in that relationship for us to be able to honor them and what they need in that moment. Um, I think that we break the commandment um, so we need to acknowledge that if you have a broken relationship or an abusive parent um, or other circumstances that make it particularly hard to keep this commandment, we break it in those situations when we continue to make sure that everyone knows how bad our parents are. Um, we never allow for the possibility that the Lord can change them, I think is one way that we can break this commandment. I, I struggle with that for my own parents. Um, Maybe you have parents like mine who are not believers. I think we break this commandment when we don't share the gospel with them, when we assume that they're not worthy or that they are incapable of believing or that God's not big enough to change their hearts. Um, when we hold back from sharing the truth and the very source of life from our parents, we dishonor them. They're inherently worthy of the dignity and respect and even abusive parents because of whose image they bear. They may bear a broken version of the image, but they still bear the image of the same God that we bear the image of. And they deserve an inherent dignity because of that, whether we think they deserve it or not. Don't bristle at their efforts to offer input. Maybe they're just feeling disconnected, and this is their way of trying to encourage that connection between you and them. I'm not saying that you need to take every piece of advice, but be honest with them when the advice is not helpful. Um, maybe find a way to help them feel connected to you in your adulthood in another way um, outside of how they're trying to in that moment. If they're not yet believers, as hard as it is, share the gospel with them. Be honest with them about the truth that you believe. 
And one other thing, um, many of us in this room are parents ourselves. And so we need to remember the other side of this, the side where we are still struggling to honor our parents, recognize that it's going to be hard for our kids to honor us as well. Um, What can we do to make it easier for our kids to honor us as parents? Just something to think about. So moving into the next commandment, you shall not murder. What's meant by this one? Well, this one gets a little tricky. Maybe tricky is not the right word. Our life, our living, our breathing, our very essence is both the gift of God and an aspect of how we image God in the world around us. So is every other image bearer's life. We need to respect it. We need to value it. We need to do all we can to maintain peace and goodwill toward one another. This does not start with the action of murder. Jesus himself explained in Matthew that murder starts as anger. Outside of a malfunctioning wiring of a brain, no one wakes up one day and just decides to go murder somebody. It started somewhere in their hearts. We need to value life from the very moment we encounter it. Um, How does Jesus fulfill this commandment? Well, Jesus never took life. Jesus only gave life. He's the very source of life. He's the, the bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life. In John 10.10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's the very antithesis of murder. How do we break the commandment? In the words of the great philosopher Yoda, (laughs) fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Murder doesn't start as murder. It starts with a heart angry toward another person. We fear disrespect. We fear loss of status. We fear invisibility. We fear our own death physically, spiritually. And we seek to run faster than the other person so that the bear catches them first. We break it when we get angry, when we harbor anger, when we no longer value our neighbor's needs as more important than our own, when we don't respect someone else's livelihood, when we put our trust more in our own work and efforts, and thus it becomes a competition with them rather than trusting in the completeness of Christ's work for us. So steps that we can take to not break the commandment. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So what are ways that we can do that? Well, we advocate for justice. We advocate for, um, we've been hearing a lot about justice, especially for the unborn this week with the events going on in Virginia um, and New York. And we should speak up against what's being allowed, but we can't stop with just abortion. There are other ways that life is being threatened. Um, We need to advocate for the elderly who are being mistreated. We need to advocate for for the disabled who are not being treated with the dignity that they deserve. We need to advocate for sex trafficking victims, for the poor, for insert whatever category you can think of here, because every person on this planet, born or unborn, is worth the inherent dignity of being the image bearer. And, and I know that, that there are mistakes that have been made and choices that have been made, and, and maybe you are in this room and you have experienced a... a a family member being mistreated. You've experienced um, choices that you've made that have had consequences that fall in line with this, and we need to remember 
that the grace of God is big enough to cover all of that. That you, if you are the one who has made that choice, and if you have repented and believed in Christ, you have been set free from the condemnation that comes with that choice. And there are going to be days that you're going to forget. And so you need to surround yourself with people who will remind you that God loves you and that God has forgiven you for that. The cross of Christ was enough to pay for that. I didn't want to let that go before we move on to the next one. You shall not commit adultery. This one's another one that I, I think this one maybe we don't treat with the same level of um, astonishment as we do with murder because it just happens so much. Our culture doesn't value marriage the way God intends us to, and so adultery doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, but this commandment, what is meant by it? It's meant to be fidelity to your spouse as well as fidelity to God. Uh, the word for adultery in the original language is really close to idolatry, which is one of the reasons why God uses adultery as the image when he's confronting Israel throughout the Old Testament because it's that same diversion of affections from where it should be to where it shouldn't be. So this commandment means be faithful to your spouse and to your God, and that fidelity is meant to be in both thought and deed. How does Jesus fulfill the commandment? He is the faithful bridegroom who laid down his life for his bride. Why do we break the commandment? When our, I think when our spouses prove to be sinful and not enough, we're tempted to be selfish, we're afraid. We think that somehow God is not even enough, so we look for more. And uh, how do we break the commandment? This links back to the first commandment. We break it when we seek to find our fulfillment outside of Christ, outside of our marriage, when we seek selfish, temporal fulfillment where we shouldn't. I would argue that it's possible, um, and, and there are other, it's not just my argument. I have read the argument for other people, so um, it's something to think about, that this commandment can actually even be broken before you're ever married. Um, your thought life, your sexual purity are in view here in this commandment. Um, so what steps can you take to not break the commandment? Don't have an affair. I mean, that one is kind of check, you know. But there's more to it than that. It's not just in that moment of making that choice. Uh, like Adrian said last week, identify your idols. Is it physical pleasure? Is it emotional fulfillment? Is it security? Um, are those the things that you are thinking are lacking in your marriage that are causing you to go look elsewhere? Um, I like what Adrian suggested last week about starving those idols. Maybe don't give them time and attention so that your attentions can be diverted to where they are supposed to be. Um, bring in a trusted counselor or a friend who can help you to identify those and work through those and keep you accountable, um, especially when it comes to your thought life and your purity. But probably the first thing you should do is to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to turn your heart wholly toward God and toward your spouse if you have one. Going outside of marriage to find fulfillment wrecks the picture of the gospel that marriage is intended to represent. And so we need to be holding that um, as more precious than I think our society tends to allow us to do. This one flows naturally. Adultery is a form of stealing. We are stealing affections from where they should be to where they shouldn't be. And so it makes sense that we would then flow into you shall not steal. This commandment... um, it, what does it mean? It means don't take what isn't yours. Uh, love your neighbors enough to ensure that they have what is rightfully theirs. 
give generously. This applies not just in obvious financial ways, but it applies to paying honest wages to employees, to paying fair costs for goods. I mean, I'm all about the deal, but I need to be careful that I'm not cheating to get the deal. Um, how does Jesus fulfill the commitment, uh, commandment? Jesus' gift of himself as a sacrifice is the greatest example of not only maintaining hold of what is rightfully yours, because we are rightfully his by the fact that we are his creation, but then he humbled himself and gave up his life as a sacrifice for us. Why do we break the commandment? I think we break it because we're lazy. I know I am. It's, it's not just that um, we are trying to get as much as we can, but we don't want to work harder than we have to. We're afraid of not having enough. We're afraid that if we do try to work, it's going to be insufficient, and so I better just get what I can. We break it when we allow a billing mistake in our favor to slide. Uh, we do it when we don't pay people who work for us what, we're, what they're worth. And we do it when we try to fudge any line along the way to just try to get a little bit more. No one's going to notice. So what steps can we take to not break the commandment? Well, we remember the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. It seems simple, but ask yourself how you would feel if someone did the same thing to you. That right there is probably the best thing that you can do in that moment to help you make the better choice. The next one is that you should not bear false witness. This is not a, uh, and what's meant by the commandment is not a general prohibition against lying in general, but specifically here it's talking about falsely testifying in a manner that would lead a neighbor to be punished. So this, this doesn't mean that other types of lying are okay. But in this instance, when God is giving these commandments to Israel, he's giving them the baseline for how their society should function so that it's different from other societies around them. So in this specific time, he's giving the language of um, testifying in a judicial manner. Um, this, this type of false testimony not only brings undue harm to the neighbor, but it destroys the trust of the community that you're in. When you commit that false testimony, then not only have you brought harm, but now no one can trust what you have to say, and that broken trust breaks relationships. We should use your words to speak truth and life. How does Jesus fulfill it? Even Jesus' words at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 don't tear down these commandments, but they magnify them and help us to understand them better. His entire life, his word and deed, were an accurate testimony to who God is. He represented the Father perfectly. So why do we break it? I think um, sometimes it's because we want to better our standing. We want to make ourselves look better. We think that we are the arbiters of justice. Um, We break it when we embellish a story so that we look a little better than somebody else. When we bring inaccurate accusations against someone, especially if we have not attempted to deal with that person directly first. What steps can we take to not break it? Uh, We need to remember that we no longer need to jockey for position in the kingdom um, because we have been declared righteous and redeemed. And so I don't need to be better than anybody else because I've already been given my value by the king. We need to rest in our identity as a daughter of the king and let him be the one who brings about the justice and the rightness around us. Which leads us to the last one, you shall not covet. That's a strange word, isn't it? Covet. 
I've heard it interpreted a lot of different ways. You shouldn't be jealous. You shouldn't want. You shouldn't try to get from other people. I think what's meant here is that it goes beyond simple envy, although envy is never simple. Paul in Ephesians 5 lists covetousness along with sexual immorality and impurity, indicating it's a deep longing for what others possess. He even says in verse 5 that someone who is covetous is an idolater, that this is a transfer of worship and desire away from God and onto something that somebody else owns. How does Jesus fulfill the commandment? Jesus' focus was only to do the work of the Father. John 4, 34, he says, my food. How many of us treat food as an idol? Um, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is the only thing he cared about. And I love the verse in Philippians that says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the comments uh, in the ESV study Bible say this, Remarkably, Christ did not imagine that having equality with God, which he actually already possessed, should lead him to hold on to his privileges at all costs. It was not something to be grasped, to be kept and exploited for his own benefit or advantage. Instead, he had a mindset of service. In humility, he counted the interests of others as more significant as his, than his own. The very fulfillment of this commandment, actually all of these commandments, is the good news of the gospel. Not only did he keep the negative iterations of the commandments perfectly, the do-nots, But in both thought and deed, and by his very life, death, and resurrection, he was the fulfillment of the antithesis of each one of them. We were asked in our study guide to reword the commandments from negative to positive or positive to negative. He fulfilled both sides of those perfectly. He fulfilled and kept the law perfectly and then offered himself as that sacrifice for you and me so that when he was resurrected and, and made glorified and declared that the punishment was over, he transfers his perfect righteousness onto us when we repent and believe. That's the good news of gospel, isn't it? That I'm going to fail at every one of these almost every time. I'm going to get better as the years go on and as I pursue Christ. It will get better, but I'm never going to be perfect. But because of Jesus, I don't have to be because he already was. I think um, we break the, the, cov- the command to not covet when we doubt God's goodness and when we doubt his understanding of who we are and what we really need. Um, we break it. Um, I will confess I'm a social media user. Uh, I, I need to use it less. <laughs> um, we break it when we begin to wish for the lives that we see on display on Facebook and Instagram. When, when we become so dissatisfied with our own life and, and we hear ourselves think or even say, I wish my life was more like so-and-so's. Look at all the things they get to do. Um, I'm even guilty of saying, we never do anything. We never go anywhere. Um, and I need to stop doing that because that's an expression of dissatisfaction for where God has me in this moment. When we allow social media to create in us that fear of missing out, I think we are, are verging and leading towards breaking this commandment. Um, we have made what other people are doing or experiencing something that we are coveting. Do we try to keep up with the Joneses? Do you find out that someone just got a new car and suddenly yours doesn't look that nice anymore? It was fine yesterday, but now that I saw that one, this one's not so great anymore. 
I think that's another form of covetousness. So what steps can we take to not break the commandment? We need to not allow ourselves to minimize this commandment to only mean that it's bad when I want it and I don't want them to have it, as I've heard some people try to say, that it's only coveting is if I want to take it from them and they can't have it anymore. But it's more than that. It's that initial desire within you to have something other than what God has already given you. Um, so, so what do we do? Well, for me, I need to check social media less. Uh, I stopped posting as much, but I'm still, like, Facebook stalking a lot of people. I need to stop that. (laughs) Um, Maybe for you, it's when you're getting ready to post online, ask, why do I want to post this? Uh, When you're tempted to discontentment with where you are, pray and ask the Spirit to remind you of all the blessings that God has given you um, and that you have been given in Christ. Scripture says that all spiritual blessings have been given to us because of Christ. Ask him to help you to rest in your security and worth and the security and worth of the work of Christ. So this is the last of the Ten Commandments, but I think um, lest we fall into the trap of treating them like a checklist, which I think we as humans are so tempted to do, let's not forget our motivation to be trying to do these better. Um, we don't try to do them better because we're trying to earn our possession in the kingdom, our position in the kingdom. Um, we do this to prove we already are part of the kingdom. Uh, remember that God is giving these commandments to his people after they have been chosen and redeemed. This is how a redeemed life evidences itself. And also don't forget that we've been given the Holy Spirit too. Um, Moses says right after he finishes this commandment in verse 18, uh, or actually... In verse 19, the people are afraid, and, and they stood far off, and Moses, says, Moses tells them, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. We have The idea there was that they would see God on the mountain, and they would remember who he is, and then they would make the choice to not break the commandments. We have that same presence in the Holy Spirit indwelling in us who reminds us, who trains us, who guides us, who helps us to remember what a redeemed life looks like and to make better choices. We have him there preserving us and encouraging us, helping us to grow to be more and more like Jesus until the day we are reunited with him fully face-to-face, which I cannot wait for. So let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your good gifts of mercy and grace, for your, your gift of, of just telling us who you are, revealing yourself to us, for choosing us, for saving us, for all the many ways that you have blessed us. And we confess that we forget, that we doubt. Lord, we pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to remind us, to keep your presence ever before us so that we could live lives through the power of your Spirit that magnify and glorify and show the world around us what a redeemed life looks like, that we would adorn the beauty of the gospel in all that we do. Pray that this week we would be women who are in love with your word, that we would be women who are energized and encouraged to continue studying and digging deep, especially as we start heading into the the sections of Exodus that can seem a little overwhelming or confusing. We pray that your spirit would continue to open our minds and our hearts that he would continue to illuminate to us what you have for us to know about you. 
Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these women and the ones who couldn't be here this morning, that they love you and they love your word. I pray that you would help us to prioritize it well and that we would speak well of your gospel to the people around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.